0: I like if you can do it without bringing in investors, it's fantastic because you get to run it 100% of the way you want. The day you bring in someone else is the day you start to have to answer to someone else. But I did, you know, I like auditioned for Shark Tank and I went out there and I got turned down by Shark Tank a couple of times, but then I actually got a call from an actual shark on Shark Tank that (laughs) got my product and loved it. And so I kind of made a deal, a non-equity deal, but I made a deal with Damon John from Shark Tank.
1: Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, or TPOW as we call it. I am your host, Dustin Service. I'm excited to have Mike Watts, founder and CEO of Love Handle USA, a Real icon for business. I can't wait to uh, really unpack what's going on upstairs in Mike Watts. So Mike, thanks a lot for coming on the show today.
0: Thanks for having me, Dustin. I'm excited to be here.
1: So we're currently going through some branding and some creative kind of things for our website. I have to know about where you came up with Love Handle for a website or for a business and maybe share a little bit about what the business
0: is. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a shameless marketer and (laughs) when you're starting... A business particularly around a product i've got six startups now around products and you know it's always a challenge to try to help people you know remember your brand name and so we had come up with what we thought was the world's greatest smartphone grip back when actually when the iphone came out we were the first this is a pop socket
1: like the kind of yeah
0: we were actually okay. ahead of pop sockets we were the original now they clearly they went viral <laughs> ahead of us but um yeah it's just a little stick on strap oh, for your phone. Okay. And the new, yeah. the, the new version has a kickstand built in and it's magnetic. So you can stick your phone to anything metal. It's a car mounting system that goes with it. So it's a whole kind of ecosystem around the phone. And we're like, had all these different names for the brands. And my daughter actually chose that one. Cause she had just got her phone. She was 12 at the time. She just got her first phone. She loved it so much. She said "Daddy, you should call it the love handle. And I was like, cause I love my phone so much. And I'm like that darling, I mean, I don't know if you know what that means. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? Why not? We're going to love these devices. We need a handle on them and it's memorable. And I was able to get the domain name. So here we are, lovehandle.com. We really have sort of embraced it. Like just this weekend, we were at the food pantry in Houston. We do a lot of like give back and try to live up to the love portion of the brand name. So it's kind of who we are. So that's lovehandle. Well, I understand the
1: handle part. I wanted to wear the love where it was like, you know, you're on your phone with your loved one or, you know, something really uh, appreciate you sharing that. So you mentioned it, but six time founder, 70 million in retail sales. For us entrepreneurs, just listening and going, I want to expand my brain. I need someone around me that can help shape my brain bigger. You know, if you're around your five closest people or things around you, you can be a sum of those things. So help us unpack what six-time founder what
0: does that actually mean well it's just been a, a journey you know we started out very simply with the goal of my wife and i we had our first son 23 years ago and straight away we wanted to be a single income family where we didn't have to send the kids to daycare and so that was the root of us becoming entrepreneurs honestly and that so we were trying to find products we could sell on the weekends at craft fairs and so We started selling what later became Orbeez and now Gel Blasters. We were the first ones to bring out that polyacrylamide gel, and we would sell it at home and garden shows and trade shows on the weekend. And we were just constantly evolving our product offering to try to learn what consumers wanted, what we could present. Eventually, we had products that were patented, licensed, and quit a corporate job and then took that risk and put products on TV and you know, became the world's number one selling weed eater head along the way for grass trimmers. And so we've kind of been across a lot of different categories, but I always tell people it's just a, you know, like my dad always says, you can't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. You just got to be willing to do the work. So we just keep doing what we can do each day and learn as we go and just keep showing up our best. And that's what's taken us as far as we've gotten. Oh, Mike, I've
1: definitely done my research and you're being very modest with what you've accomplished. So listener, I will get this out of them, but- so many places I could go. So where do you pivot from weed eater head to Orby gel balls to like, how does the process start to figure out what a person's or I'm, you know, I'll just share my example. It's like, we're trying to figure out what people want for financial planning, whether that's life insurance or investments. How do you figure out
0: what people want in just when you start as a blank canvas? How does that work? I always work from the need backwards. And typically I'm trying to solve a need that I have. And I feel like probably there's some other people that have it as the in the weed eater category. We had a product called the Pivotrim. It's still the number one selling weed eater head in the world. But we sold the company in 2012. The point was, I, I personally had the problem of winding the line on the weed eater head I and that. never fed out correctly, <laughs> and it was always breaking off. And it was a Saturday, and I really just wanted to be watching football and or <laughs> doing something different than, except for that. So we developed this weed eater head that would allow the line to swivel. It was super easy to load, just little pieces of line. I it solved a problem for me. And the same thing's true with Love Handle. I had dropped our phone straight away, you know, broken screens and broken backs of phones. Who would have thought you'd make the back of a phone glass? But they did. And yeah. thank you, Apple. And so we just try to find a problem out there that we think a lot of people might have. See if we can find some sort of physical solution to that. And then see what other people are doing in the category what we like about what they're doing and then how we could possibly do it better. Or if it even is a category yet, and then try to just launch it and this iterate, it's just a constant evolution. Uh, you're never done developing. You're never done. There's never a finished product. Uh, there's only iterations of products that you sell along the way.
1: When you come up with an idea, how do you push through the roadblocks when you look at you know, the phone case space and after buying an iPhone, six months ago and they want to sell you the really expensive cases and then my instagram was glowing with just ads for cases it's like (laughs) there's so many cases so then right how do you
0: go no ours is going to be better for us i've always liked the idea of a business model where our product is evergreen and aftermarket so in the weed eater example our product was a universal fit any weed eater out there right And then in the phone grip space, you know, our product is, we don't sell cases currently. We're probably going to start soon, but right now we sell an adhesive or magnetic MagSafe stick-on accessory, right? So this is something you stick on the back of your existing phone. So now it doesn't matter if you have an iPhone or Android, doesn't matter if you have a case or no case, our product will work. And it already works with the iPhone 16, which hasn't even come out yet, right? Like it's such a better place from a, inventory standpoint, from just a development standpoint, to be able to just be an aftermarket product that works with some sort of driver OEM product that everybody has life experience with.
1: Yeah, that is fascinating. Without getting into the, the secret sauce, when a person makes a product, I always assume all products come from China, which is wrong, but products like that come from China, where it's like mass produced do you go there or are you producing yours in in america or like how does that work when you're so far away from where it's produced and i'm assuming it's not being produced
0: in your garage no it's not in the garage but not too far from it three miles from my house i've built a factory really okay to manufacture uh, most of our products are made there some of the magnetic like the MagSafe stuff china is the only place in the world that actually makes magnets if you didn't know that but didn't know they that. they're needed for that portion of it but we designed and built not just the product, but the machines to make our product. So we have a machine assisted automation. So we have a team of 30 there, but we do the work of like 90 because we designed and built our own automatic welding machines and feed systems. So it's just, you know, it didn't start that way. We were hand assembling at first and then we're constantly trying to make it better. I've had some bad experiences with China. I've had some good ones too, but some bad ones that were very, very expensive. So, you know, we felt like being able to control quality and thought of our own building to create jobs locally and to create a culture that ties into the brand that can sort of live and breathe every day in the office was something that was important to us. And so that's the way we handled this business.
1: Uh, And I assume you you maybe have a team member who does the hiring and firing, but if you're still part of those decision-making or as you were growing the team was there a metric that you vetted for culture alignment in the initial buildup of the team, or did you bring these people over from another company you had? Because I think culture is a huge
0: thing. You know, it really is. And actually, I I learned that the the hard way, Dustin. It was <laughs> I, I had a lot of employees that I hired for the wrong reasons. I would hire them for the pedigree or their experience or or whatever. And what I realized later on, now we have the best team we've ever had, and it's because everyone has the same. Culture, which is very customer-focused. Everyone's humble. Everyone's willing to do whatever it takes to make the customer happy and to make a good product that will, in turn, make the customer happy. We all respect one another, get along, and that goes so far. Once you get to a point as an entrepreneur, the only way to grow is through other people's time. Right? Is leveraging other people and building your company, and it's so important, like you say, to bring in people to a to know what your value sets are and how that culture fits with, does that person fit into your culture? And if you do that, then, you know, you get, this is the whole right person. You find this find the seat for them later on the bus, just get the right people on the bus. That's right.
1: And did you have a consultant or somebody help you establish those core values along the way? Or did you take the time to just sit down and say, these are the values that we live by?
0: Yeah, it was, it was me. I say that I'm a, product of all the podcasts I listen to and books that I've read. And I feel like I've read every business book out there. And I have a lot of time in the trenches. They talk about 10,000 hours. I've got that in spades in the trenches and learning how to run a business. And we're, you know, I'm a man of faith too. So I continue to seek guidance for bringing the right people in the door and wisdom about whether they're the right fit or not. Uh, Everybody we bring in, you know, is on a trial basis because some things you just don't know till you get shoulder to shoulder with them. But it's just been trying to learn. i have never really hired a consultant, just learning from the greats out there and that have written books or have podcasts and try to figure it out as I go. <laughs> well, you've
1: definitely figured it out. So, in six companies, or is it, are you five exits and one current company? Is that the math? Four exits, one and two companies. I run two four. companies. Now. Okay. So, four exits. So, what was the longest time span from when you started? To when you exited?
0: Um, nine years was the nine
1: last. years. Is there a sweet spot? Or is it really just each company could be different, or it depends where you are in your your journey? It
0: totally depends on the market. I feel like most of them I exited at the right time, whether because I had a better opportunity that my time needed to be spent on, or there was maturity in the category I was in and the weed eater head, for example, I had basically out in every retailer I wanted to get globally and we had sort of saturated the market. And there's only so many people, A, that are cutting their own grass and that have gas powered trimmers. And so we had I felt like we had tapped it out. There was a transition going on between infomercial onto social media selling. And it didn't translate quite as well for us. And so we were running into some resistance that way. So we felt like we had a really strong buyer that came in and was interested. So We went ahead and and made that exit was a good move. I mean, it's the company's still successful today, but it hasn't grown a lot since then. So I think that reallocating resources, time and financially to these new projects was a wise move for me.
1: You ever find yourself asking the question, is this mission I'm on worthy? Like to make pivots, like you mentioned, kind of, it was time to move on. How do you segue to the next, break that down further? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe I'm going to call you up when I have those questions in my head. It's, <laughs> it's not easy, you know, and it's an emotional roller coaster. People look at me or talk to me and they think I've got it all figured out. And I absolutely don't. I just do the best that I can each day. And I have emotional highs and lows as I go. You just have to be grateful. You need to be able to see like the impact you're making. You know, you need a line of sight, and not even just for me, but like for my whole team. So we spend a lot of time reading or in our reviews a lot. We listen to what people have to say about our products and how it's helping their life. We put those things up on the wall at work. We have our customers record testimonials. Maybe they have arthritis and they use their phone to talk to their grandkids. And without our product, they wouldn't be able to do it or they prop it up. And when they're carrying their groceries to the car, they stick their phone on the outside of their car so they can be hands-free. And it just makes their life a little bit easier every single day. And so, We see that line of sight to adding value to the world through innovation and useful products with something that we all carry around every day. But I think it's important because, you know, the money, it's not worth it. You need to see some sort of esoteric value, I think, to what you're bringing to the world through your company in order to keep the drive that you'll need to make it the long term.
1: Yeah. Well, and again, listener, you could go online and look at Mike and uh, someone could do some rough math and figure out that you're probably okay financially for the rest of your life. But what is it that if enough is not your biggest asset, then what is it? Like without putting words in your mouth, you talked about the culture, you're not golfing every day and traveling the world. Why come up with another thing to keep your time occupied somewhere else?
0: Great question. I think that you know, I'm really legacy-minded. So I always I start each day looking through my goals. And one of them is that I'm gonna lay on my deathbed and look back and know that you know I, I made the most out of everything, every opportunity that I had. And people look at financial, typically they're like, hey, you should be an entrepreneur because you can be your own boss. And then when you cash out, it's all your money and no one else to answer to. But there's so many other benefits that i found of entrepreneurship. Right now, one of the ones is um, our three kids are 18, 20, and 23. They're actually adults. They all work at Love Handle. And so does my wife, who once she was done raising our kids and graduated their homeschool here, she went on to become our marketing manager. And she's great at it, but she would have never gotten that opportunity in a regular company because she has no pedigree and no college education in that respect. But it's allowed me to keep my family intact And give them exposure to experience. Like my kids now, they have great exposure to how to create social media content. When I left the office earlier, I had to come back to the house here to do this podcast because my youngest, my 18 year old, was live on TikTok in there wearing a chicken costume (laughs) and doing whatever he could do to try to get sales on TikTok. Yeah. But it's just neat to have those types of opportunities and for us to be able to travel to trade shows together. So there's a lot of softer side benefits that come from this lifestyle, but there's also lots of sacrifices that come too. but for me, I just feel like I was cut out for it and it just comes natural.
1: We're getting you in the flesh sort of now, Uh, you know, if we would have talked to you 20 years ago, so we got sort of this, these two goalposts of now and 20 years ago, obviously along the way, well, I shouldn't say obviously, have you had partners that have helped, So I'm not saying this is the mentor question, but my question is, if you're going to build businesses at the scale that you've built them and as the speed and the size, did you do it just strictly on eating craft dinner and using your 401k to fund it? Or how did partners impact the speed and trajectory of your journey
0: in any sort of company? If you can think of an example. I mean, it's been a varied experience early days. Yeah. My wife and I, we cashed our 401k and a pension actually my job when I left that we had pensions back then. So, uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) uh, so we, we, you're right. We put all that resources into the startup around that weed eater head company. And then we did offer investment from friends and family. So we had friends and family around about 35% of the company. So when we exited, it was great to get to give my grandmother a quarter million dollars Yeah, yeah. just to see the impact there. But since then, it's outside of the financial stuff. Love handle, we've self funded the whole thing, and it's been hard because after our big exit, I went and bought a bunch of real estate and little rent houses and stuff. So I had a pretty good sized portfolio of rent houses, and I used the passive income from those houses to be able to start Love handle and not take a paycheck for the first four years. Right. So I was, you know, just investing my time and energy. And then kind of like you said, at the monopoly table, I was starting to turn over those mortgages because I needed more cash. And so I would go sell one house or go sell two houses and then take that money and put it into the company and just continually use that as as a resource. Now, they're all gone. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've had to turn over all those cards. And so I'm definitely pot committed at this point. But the equity in the company is definitely there. So you just kind of navigate it the way you want. I like if you can do it without bringing in investors. It's fantastic. Because you get to run it one hundred percent of the way you want. The, the day you bring in someone else is the day you start have to answer to someone else. But I did, you know, I like auditioned for Shark Tank, and I went out there and I got turned down by Shark Tank a couple of times. But then I actually got a call from an actual shark on Shark Tank that got my product and loved it, and so I kind of made a deal, a non-equity deal, but I made a deal with Damon John from Shark Tank, and so now we're business. He partners. eats his own last. He no, no, no. <laughs> <rest>. <laughs> no, but he does use the love handle. If you follow him on social, you'll see that he uses and loves the love handle and has been a user for many, many years now. And has become a personal friend. So you just never know like where this will take you. And he's been a fantastic mentor for me. But I think that probably the most valuable resource I had is, a, is a, probably my best friend is my CPA. Having a great tax accountant and help, someone that can help you make sure your businesses are structured right. So if you ever do go to sale at it, actually can transact and those sorts of things, finding those professionals that that shore up your knowledge base where you're deficient, which is vast when it comes to my expertise, then that's really important too. I
1: just got fresh off a meeting uh, earlier this morning where we were working a plan for a client and he really was looking 20 years out and wanted to really fine tune the numbers at 20 years. And, and he's in good shape. And I, and I finally just said, Whether we tweak the numbers a few thousand here, it doesn't really change it. And a lot is gonna change. And so when I think of you with your rental house portfolio, at that moment, so this is pre-Love Handle conception, and Mm -hmm. you had all these houses and you're like, we're collecting this rent. Was there a moment you thought this is our plan? Like real estate is where we need to put our money right
0: now? It was, and I felt like that we were gonna eventually move into apartments and you know, kind of take that path. And if you ask my wife, that's what she wanted to do. And she still wishes (laughs) we had, I just thought, honestly, the love handle would be maybe like a a short-term gig, like maybe a fad type product. I don't know, like a Snuggie or something like that. Like it comes and goes, but as it turned out, it's become a whole lot more. And it was a whole lot harder. We made a lot of big mistakes early, but it's worth it in the end. Now she says she likes it, but at the time she's like, why are you taking all of our blue chips and turning them into these, you know, high risk product development things. But to each person their own. And but for me, I think that it's given me just another piece of experience that now my goal, my passion is to go teach others and inspire others to become entrepreneurs. Because I think that's the driving force in America that keeps us special keeps us different and keeping that American dream alive.
1: Yeah. Uh, listener, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely inspired. And I want to know sort of right now, then for the real estate thing, that chapter is gone now into business, and then there'll be some sort of hopefully awesome cash flow or exit at some point and hopefully keep the culture intact. Is that roughly the idea or more products like you think you're gonna go into different
0: things, or can you talk about it oh I can and i'm Probably more of an, I'm an overshare, <laughs> to be honest with you, Dustin, but it's been neat because at first, you know, the product was just a little stick-on strap for the phone. And then this, the model I showed you was that has a kickstand. That was from listening to our customers. who said, hey, it would be great to have a kickstand. And so we developed that, and it would be great if it was magnetic. And then now they're asking for a wallet. So I just finished development on a MagSafe wallet and an adhesive wallet with all those features inside. And then they're like, well, I want a backup battery. So we got a backup battery coming on for the MagSafe. And just because that's the thing about entrepreneurship, you can't really overstate like just being on the playing field. Because now that I am, I didn't really think that the cell phone accessories would be as big as it really is. And it's way bigger. I've been next month, may will be 10 years I've been in this category. And so now it really opens up all kinds of possibilities for us to do our own phone case, like we talked about, and customization. We could have printer, bring in printers and do customized one-off novelty cases and do licensing with sports teams. And there's a lot of different avenues we can go. So I never really know exactly what's gonna be next, but we just try some iterations, we'll bounce them off our customers, see which ones they would like and take it from there. I don't know. I mean, I've companies email me every day wanting to buy our company, and I don't know if how many of them are real or, or not. But I don't let my head go into that space, at least not now, because I feel like we've got so much potential. You know, we're doing good. We're, you know, we're we're high seven figures, but our competitors are doing high nine figures. Right. So it's there's a lot of opportunity and runway yet that I feel like that we're about to capture. And once we do, maybe then we get a multiple that makes sense. But um For now, I just, I see a lot more opportunity in green grass than, uh, than dirty (laughs) pastures.
1: Well, I think you got a bit of a a family business obviously running now, but from the time, you know, when you were in entrepreneurship and what you thought was uh, sort of your goals for the future at, you know, say 10 years ago, your kids would have been like eight, 12. Now you're getting to see like, well, they're out of the house. Has that been interesting to experienced that? Or I guess you work with some of them. So
0: they're not as far away as it maybe feels. You would think I think that, you know, we've got a bit of a lifestyle design type thing that we've gone. Like I said, I built my factory on purpose three miles from my house. We bought a house that's big. So we got room. So actually, all 18, 20, and 23 still live at home. And we love that. Actually, we think that it's fantastic. They each have their own lives and such but you know they have great employment and they bring good value I'm really proud of our kids but they are you know some of them have one foot out the door one's engaged and so now there's definitely new chapters upcoming for us but I feel like this has given us this bonus round this special time with them as young adults where we get to just continue to be both parents and friends with them and co-workers and so it just creates this really unique and wonderful bond that we wouldn't have been able to, to get any other way.
1: Along kind of the same line, you talked about legacy. I can't remember who, I don't know if it was Alex Hermosey or if you listened to his podcast, but he was talking about, you know, how many of you know your grandfather? And then how many of you know your great grandfather? And then, you know, once you get to like great, great grandfather or even great grandfather, do you know what they did in their, their job? It's like my great grandfather, I don't know what he did. I know what my grandfather did. But once you go a couple of generations, so you think like, if I don't even know someone who's part of my family, how can we honestly leave like a legacy, like through that exists decades, not even like centuries. So in in your case, you know, it's not so much the money, but have you got any sort of deep legacy desires to leave on a bigger scale other than, you know, love handle or those sort of things?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I do. I think that, well, the good thing and credit to you for taking the initiative. I know putting a podcast together is not easy and it takes a lot of time and effort and dedication. But the fact is, this is gonna live, that's gonna outlive me and you, right? Like mm-hmm. our great, great, great grandkids will be able to watch this on YouTube 10 or whatever it's gonna be then. <laughs> yeah. And they're gonna get a little bit of a glimpse about who we were and you know what they like about us and get a little picture into our lives. But for me, I'm just trying to just do the best that I can to be known as someone of integrity, to be known of someone that invested in others, but then also was willing to outwork everyone around him. And I think that those assets, those attributes are things that will be timeless. And really I'm so glad my product's called Love Handle because I really am about all about love and you know what can be the service to others, whether it's our employees or our family or to our customers or to our communities. And so I just want to be the best version of myself, and I love that I get opportunities like this to to document it a little bit and share that behind. So we'll see. You know, I wish I had a clear picture of what that's going to be, but I'm just doing the best I can, and and hopeful that the results show.
1: Well, you've you've shown it a few times, uh, so I'm positive that you got you know this one figured out in whatever that means but can you help us with sort of the the final chapter of the show in the business in running a team of 30 people what's the top two things that you do on a regular basis to keep the team engaged and pulling on essentially this brand that is bigger than them i get the sense that they're not just coming in to show up for work there's something more there so is there any sort of incentives or any things you do to like keep them more engaged than just
0: it's a job that's a fantastic question because it's hard to do and fortunately for me at this size i actually have the ability and because everybody is physically in the building i know a lot of companies you know it's all remote which would make this harder but i know a little bit about every single person what they're going through and because i take the time to go connect with them every single day every day i'm going around and i'm having a chat even if it's just quick with someone in their review process every year, I'm asking them, what are your personal goals? What are you trying to achieve? We some people on our team, they're trying to build a tiny house. Someone else is trying to have children and has had trouble with that. And someone else, we just had one this week that had a cancer scare. And we were in there as a team together, you know, praying with her and trying to help encourage her. And she found out, thank goodness, that yesterday it's everything's fine. And so it's kind of family, but it's also more like a football team. In the sense that we all build each other up, but if somebody doesn't pull their weight and have the performance to back that up, well, then maybe they're off the team. It's just a matter of investing in people, showing that you truly care, being a servant leader to others. People want to follow servant leaders. They don't want to follow dictators. So, you know, for me, I'm willing to do whatever my nickname there is the janitor. So I'm literally the one that they come to and the toilet's overflowing. I'm the one that go fix it because I said that that's my job. I want to be able to do that and say that I did it. So it's just, um, you know, be humble and just know that you're not going to get anywhere without other people. And they each have their story. And they, if you can align where they want to be, what their goals are in their life, and make their time in your company like a path to that goal and help them see that path, well, now they're not there to help me. They're he- there to help themselves, which everyone is and should be doing. But it's a mutual benefit to both of us.
1: Mike Watts, listener. Uh, Mike, thank you. I'm extremely grateful for this episode. I took some serious notes and I I definitely really felt it. Thank you for coming uh, on the show today. And I think you encapsulated what the picture of wealth is. So thank you. Any closing thoughts and things that you're excited about?
0: Thanks for the opportunity, Dustin. It's it's always good to get on here and, and have a good conversation. I think in the end, what I want to do is to inspire people to take their first step. This is the most important step that you're going to take will be the first one, whether it's an idea. And you're like, man, I, I've got an idea pro- for a product. Well, like, what have you done about that? Like, have you tried to you know, make a prototype, get up, whittle it out of wood, whatever you got to do, like try it, may take some amount of step towards it. Now, you don't have to know the whole plan. You're never going to know the whole plan. I'll close with this little analogy that I use sometimes. It's like walking through a dark room. And, you know, yeah, you can't see anything at all, you know, but all you know is that there's probably another door on the other side. You got to find it. And you might hit your shin on the coffee table and you have to back up and you may have to go find a wall and walk along the wall. But as long as you keep pushing and don't stop, eventually you're going to find your way through to the other side. And it's going to be so worth it. But the first and most important step is when you walk through that door into the unknown, into that dark place, and you take that step of faith, it will be rewarded in some way, whether it's through experience or knowledge and wisdom that you gain, or whether it's actual financial reward because it works out. Either way, you're winning. So I just encourage people to take that first step, lean in, try something today that you haven't tried, research something that you're interested in, that you think might be a path to a business or just you bettering yourself. And just continue to, to do that and eventually you'll be looking back and guys like you'll be calling you to ask you to be on a podcast so it's just the way it goes well thanks
1: mike my my key takeaway would be that you can really create whatever you want and don't be limited by initial thinking well in weed eater heads people will remember that it's like, <laughs> right th- there's been weed eater heads for decades and yet you still created one and now you're doing with phone handles so It's more than a handle. It's a way of life. So thank you, Mike, for coming on the show. Where can people find you for more
0: information about Um, your company? You can find me on Instagram. I'm at Mike Watts. Our company is just lovehandle.com. I encourage you to check that out there. Um, You can use code CEO for a discount on there since you heard about me here. So just, yeah, connect with me. If you have any questions, I'm all about investing in other entrepreneurs. So feel free to send me a message on Instagram or LinkedIn, just find me on there and Glad to help any other aspiring entrepreneurs out there. Thanks a lot, Mike, have a great day. Thanks, Dustin. Thank you for
1: tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate the show, share with a friend or use your new knowledge in your next conversation. If during the show, something gave you a pang of inspiration, motivation, or sense of uncertainty, act on it now. Get the clarity you're looking for. Find the permission you seek. Go to servicewealth.com to discover how others are learning how to take Fridays off or buying a recreation property, or spending more money. If you're an organizer of an event where you believe my philosophy on finance and lifestyle design would be applicable, go to servicewealth.com and book me as a speaker at your next event. If you want a copy of our new book coming out soon, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook, and we will be sure to get you a first copy.